Hi, I'm Vanessa, a birth and postpartum doula, the modern doula. It takes a village to raise a child, and we built a village for you. In this podcast, we bring together leading obstetricians, mums, midwives, and more to empower you through every stage of your journey. Let us together develop a personalized approach that embraces the fact that no birth is the same. Each mother and baby's journey are unique and special in their own way. In this episode, we speak to Dr. Joseph Scroy, leading obstetrician, gynecologist, and IVF specialist. In this episode, we speak about how it's not seen as a doula and obstetrician working as a team. We also jump into what drove him to become the doctor that he is today and talking about the innovative approach that he looks at as obstetrics and what that is looking like in his new rooms at Epworth Freemasons. Hi, Joe. How are you? So good. So good is not funny, as I say. Often. You do say that often. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So for the listeners that don't know about us, yes. tell us about what we do together. Yeah, look, I think it's a unique proposition, really. I think yeah. there's probably not many obstetricians who have closely worked with a doula. In fact, yeah. historically, I think when I look back at my training as a registrar, and I did most of my training at the Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne, there was always a fear of the doula, you know, whenever we had a patient. I know. What? <laughs> yes. It was a massive fear. I don't know why. No, I do know why. <laughs> yes, okay, go. Um, but it was a fear of the doula. And, and, and the reason in part was because it was almost like the woman who had chosen the doula was a woman who was shunning away medical practitioners. Okay. And, and so for that, in that scenario, it almost established this barrier that the doctor and the midwives felt yeah. that the doula was interrupting the workflow. I think that was probably a misplaced and misguided representation of what doulas do because, yeah. um, of course, you and I have been working closely together <laughs> yes. and, and you're not your average doula, as no. you know. So, um, but, I mean, I think in part what we now know and in yeah. terms of what you and I do working close together is there's this symbiotic relationship where, you know, you and I have worked together for a long period of time now yep. with a, a fair few patients and um, I think, what are you up to, about 60 births or something 61. Now? 61 births. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, and I think that the women who have chosen you yeah. and chosen care under me as well from a pregnancy perspective yeah. have got this wonderful relationship where they, they know they get me yeah. uh, but they also get you as well. And, and I, you know, I make no bones for the fact that I'm busy. Um, yeah. You know, I've, I run a relatively busy obstetric practice and also a fertility practice as well. So the yeah. time frames in terms of me being able to spend with patients is limited. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think having a person such as yourself that then knows what I say, because I've got all these little acronyms that you I'm do. sure we're going to go through <laughs> yes. very shortly. Yes. Um, but knows all my little acronyms, knows my little idiosyncrasies and then can expand on what I'm saying to the patients. So I think so yeah. I'm only benefiting, um, you know, the patients that are around, that have been cared for both of us really. Yeah. Well, when I approached you when I was doing my studies, well, you like at the time thinking, oh, how is it? Like obviously different in the sense of it, more in the public setting would you see 
a doula than it would be in the private setting. Absolutely. And I think, in, in fact, even in private settings, yeah. you know, a lot of the doctors are sort of like saying, oh, why would you, you know, <laughs> be working with a doula? But, yeah. but I think there are on occasion where patients yeah. have selected to have a doula in yeah. presence. I think one of the things, and, and, and obviously I work exclusively, with, exclusively yeah. with you, but there are some times where patients will come with their doula who they'd had previously in yeah. the pregnancy and I won't say to them, hey, listen, yeah, you should yeah. choose Vanessa in that regard. But in that setting, I always encourage a doula to come to the appointments because yeah. there's nothing worse, I think, than having someone who's in the birth space, who's so integral to the whole birthing process, having never met me and not yeah. understanding what, what, what I'm on about and where I've been. I mean, that's been a rarity now because yeah. obviously most of my patients know that you, you're being cared for as yeah. well by, by yourself. But in the past, that's what I always encourage. So I suppose one of the things about having you on board now is that that's being very transparent from the get-go. Yeah, and yeah. As you know, you come to many of the appointments with patients <laughs> and spend much time in the room. I do, I do. Um, I think, well, I think from my training, what the difference of having a doula in, in the hospital setting. Like even when I started, like people were like, oh, doula, oh, really? Like even my sister's friend that's a midwife, she's like, oh, you're going to be a doula? Really? Really? Do you yeah. want to? And I think it's, and I'm hoping that we're changing what, that help looks. But do you think that people wanting, not in your aspects, but looking at birth trauma, that they want that extra support or that continued care? Well, I think if you unbundle birth trauma, a lot of it, uh, and look, I, I'd love to do a study on it and I can't be 100% certain yeah. of the statistics, but I think if we look at women who are birthing with one, and I, and I think this is true whether they're birthing with one obstetrician or one midwife, like yeah. they've got someone who's dedicated for their pregnancy and also their birth journey, who then is there for them in the postpartum period, that can only do great benefit for them. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of the birth trauma comes from, and this even happens with private obstetric care, mind you, where yeah. an obstetrician won't debrief with their patient after yeah. they've given birth about the complexities of the birth, why things went certain ways. And and you and I have been in situations where, you know, women have had outcomes that they have not wanted, you yeah. know, and, and we, we aim in terms of my practice to for women to have a vaginal birth if that's what they choose. And sometimes the reality of that situation is that may not occur. Now, you can see that some cases is a failure, but you can also see it as a, a richly rewarding yeah. experience where yeah. you've had your baby and you you can understand why the decisions were made when they were made and and, and how they were made yeah. to ultimately end up in, in, in the situation that you're in. And I think having, again, I can explain that, that's great, yeah. and I'll explain that in the 5, 20, 30 minutes that I can, but having yeah. then you as a backup ongoing to repeatedly explain yeah. that and then unbundle what I may have said because I think we, we know that when we see any practitioner, health practitioner, your accountant, your yeah. lawyer, a pharmacist, you only take in 5 to 10% of what they say. Yeah. Um, and so the rest of that conversation's lost on you. And if you can have someone who then is sort of educated, understands the process and can explain things ongoing, yeah. I mean, that, that can only serve as a massive benefit. It'd be easy if it was all simple, right? Linear, Absolutely. like it would be like, oh, this is how it's going to look all Absolutely. the time. Absolutely. Yeah, so. And, and there's a massive art form to being a, a good obstetrician, midwife and doula. I mean, you know, we follow certain things because we know that's evidence-based yeah. in terms of birth and in terms of pregnancy care and in terms of my fertility and gynecological practice. Yeah. 
But I think the other thing is we also know that there's an element of art and, and an element of also being able to care for patients beyond just the medical aspect. So for people that don't follow you on social but will tell people how to find you, what are you creating up at Epworth? Yeah, look, I, I've been – look, Epworth has, has invested in me as much as I'm invested in Epworth yep. and I think that's one of the good things about working at a hospital that's, um, you know, really encourages their practitioners. Uh, I've been very fortunate. I've been offered a beautiful space at Epworth and Level 1, um, shifting rooms probably in the next three or four weeks, so early very December. Exciting. And what I'm trying – I remember when I was growing up as a kid, I, I had a, a lot of cousins who we all lived together. We have, every Sunday we'd go around to Nonna's house and <laughs> – <Yes. laughs> catch up with all the cousins. Yeah. And um, and we I remember vividly talking yeah. about setting up a hospital. And really? you know, I was going to be a doctor, my sister was going to be a doctor, you know, one of them was going to be a physio, one of yeah. them was going to be a doctor, a couple were going to be <laughs> the, the younger ones were going to be the nurses and you know, we had a, a list of people and their jobs. Yeah. And I always envisaged that that complete that having a comprehensive care package I suppose for people even as a young child. And so yeah. Whilst I'm not going to build a hospital, <laughs> yes. uh, I don't have grandiose delusions that I can do that. <laughs> Probably could, yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe in the next life. But one of the things I do want to do is I want to give a comprehensive care package for, for or comprehensive care for women. And I think one of the things about being a good anything, whether you're a good you know, footballer or a good whatever, is yeah. you've got to know your limitations. Yeah. yeah. So if I'm, you know, the full forward for Carlton, I know I can mark. If I'm Harry Mackay, probably can't really kick the ball that well, so yeah. I'll handball it so someone else can can kick a goal. Yeah. But you've got to know your limitations and you've got to know your strengths and, and weaknesses, but you also got to know the strengths and weaknesses of other people. And so part of that is creating a team, uh, which not only includes my administrative team, yeah. so having a really solid administrative team that welcomes my patients uh, when they come or our patients when they come yeah. into the rooms, but in addition to that, having a really good supportive midwifery and nursing team. So I've got... Two excellent midwives, um, one who's going to start with us very shortly called yeah. Nicola and Rachel who's been with me for a significant amount of time who care for my patients during their fertility journey. They continue them from preconception through fertility and also pregnancy care. Yeah. And I do see patients throughout the whole cycle but I do see women who are also newly pregnant not needing any fertility treatment. But then knowing that there's other things, you know, yeah. other things that we need. One of the things that was really evident to me during COVID was the amount of mental health issues that women had yeah, um, and couples had really. And that's been accentuated, I think, over the course of the last two to three years, people being actually acknowledging that there, there is a, there's, there's almost a, you can relax about the fact that you've got mental health issues yeah. now, whereas I think people were shunned it in yeah, the past. Yeah, it was never talked about. Never talked about. Yeah. So now, you know, putting in a, um, a general practitioner into the practice who looks after mental health issues, yeah. particularly focused around perinatal mental yeah. health issues, so leading up towards pregnancy, I, I really think that the most important thing for a woman, for a couple heading in towards that latter part of pregnancy is making sure that they feel as ment as physically as they can yeah. well in order to to cope with the birth and the marathon of labor or alternatively through a cesarean section but more importantly that mentally they're fit as yeah. well so that when they have this newborn 
Yeah. It's not a massive struggle. So so Miranda's now working with us in the practice who's gonna who's gonna assist with couples and, and women who are who are going through mental health issues. And then also acknowledging that there's other art aspects as well. You know, I'm not a physio, so the pelvic floor and and realizing that, you know, there has got to be a bit of work that's got to be done yeah. heading into birth in relation to the pelvic floor. So having a dedicated physio team. And so yeah. it, they're currently seeing patients in the, in the old rooms, but they'll have a dedicated room to see our patients as well. And, of course, yeah. then yourself. So that, con, that, that, that sense of comprehensive care I think is really important. I think if you're going to choose private obstetric care, one of the things that I want to afford couples and women is the fact that it's a one-stop shop, that yeah. they know that... They know that I will, will, will if, I, if I feel like there's something else that needs to be done, I will get that team involved yeah. so that, um, you know, they've got that, that well, they're looked after completely. And we've had and numerous times, and if I'm ever worried about a patient, I'm like, hey, Joe, they're coming in and this is what we're going to talk about. So they have this level of, and it's not that they're ever afraid of you, it's just like this whole doctor thing. They're like, oh, I don't know how to yes. talk about well, it. Sometimes you know? they can't articulate it. Yeah. And, and I think that's important. I think. You know, not every obstetrician or every midwife or every doctor is going to be great. And I always say that there's not the best person. There's yeah. the best person for you. Yeah. But one of the things that I find that when, you, when you're starting out with your caregiver, if, and I've had a lot of women who switch through pregnancy to come and yeah. see me later on in pregnancy, like they'll come at 20 weeks or 27 weeks. And I remember a woman actually came at 36 weeks because her obstetrician wasn't listening to her about the fact that she really wanted a vaginal birth. Uh, but the, the placenta was a little bit close to the cervix, which is called a placenta previa, and that runs a risk of potentially a lot of bleeding during labour. Now, it was 18 millimetres from the cervix, and we know that if it's 20 millimetres or 22 centimetres away from the cervix, that's okay for a vaginal yeah. birth. So I sort of sat there and I said, well, look, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but I think maybe what you should do is go back to your obstetrician and just explain what what you're feeling and why you would like another scan just to see if that placenta had moved so you can have a vaginal birth. So she did. Yeah. And so part of it, I think, one of the, the lessons, I think, for anyone who's listening to this, and, of course, you're not necessarily going to be in Melbourne and necessarily want to have birth at Freemasons, but if you're yeah. finding that your caregiver isn't listening to you, sometimes it's just a matter of saying, hey, listen, yeah. I need to, can, can we sit down and have a little bit more of a chat about this? Yeah. I was... I. Did an episode previously talking about birth happens between your ears before it happens anywhere else. Mm. And you think it's, they're sponges. Yeah, everyone's vulnerable. They're going to hear someone else's story and it's, but now we're on socials and we're searching and looking and mm. all that sort of stuff. But it's about finding that that, that fit, right? Yeah, and, and I think having a team, so that's not only the admin team but also the physios, yourself, yeah. um, Miranda and my midwives and nurses, having a team means that there's more ears to listen to you too. Yeah. So that I might not pick up on things. And you're right, sometimes maybe being a male as a woman, you might not say something to a male that you would say to a female. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm actually very conscious that there's a, a lot, a lot, and I can tell you this now, don't be fearful if this is something that's happened to you, but a lot of women that have been sexually abused um, and they will, they despite being sexually abused potentially by a male, they'll still choose a male obstetrician. Yeah. I think it's really important if that's the case that you actually say that that's what's happened to you because yeah. not that we will treat you any differently, we won't, and and nor should we really in no, terms it's of getting the, the it's, support. It's getting the support but also the respect and and, you know, we can sometimes, I remember there was one patient who 
who recently had her, her second baby with me, but she, you know, she she was at a very young age um, abused, and and um, so she she came and saw me for the first pregnancy, and we didn't tell the midwife in the room during labour that that had happened. Yeah, and sometimes there's an assumption, female on female, that it's just okay to do things. Yeah, vaginal examination, you know, palpate the belly. I've got to put a catheter in and without even thinking that you should ask permission first before yeah. doing that. I think that's one of the things that I am very conscious of about asking permission before I do something. And so when we came for our second birth, it was about saying, okay, look, let's get go upstairs before. I don't want you to be fearful about going through the birth again. Let's go up beforehand, meet with a midwife who's going to care for you during labour yeah. and during the birth and, and be conscious, allow them to understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Also, you are a fertility specialist, right? Yes, part-time. <laughs> part-time. Yeah, it depends what cape I'm wearing. <laughs> yeah, well, talking about that, what, tell me, well, go back a little bit. What made you want to go into this area? Like both, like fertility yeah. and obstetrics. Yeah, well, I suppose, uh, and I, I, I actually the other day. And to I, do both, because not many do both. Correct. Yeah. There's very few of us that do a combination of fertility, IVF, yeah. and, and also obstetrics or pregnancy care. Um, I look back on my journey to becoming a doctor, and, and in the, actually, it was only about two or three weeks ago that I was in Deep Dean. Um, my daughter went to a, a play centre there called um, Art Space, and, and she was there mucking around with all her, her friends. And across the road was Deep Dean um, GP clinic. Okay. And that was where my GP was when I was okay. a young kid. And um, sorry, always oh. tearing up. Oh, it's okay. I'm a softie, aren't I? <laughs> you are a softie. <laughs> um, it's okay. Anyway. We always cry on this podcast. <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, but anyway, so, so I, I remembered uh, that my GP obstetrician, yeah. Dr. David Thomas, he, yeah. was, he was the uh, um, obstetrician who brought me into the world. Okay. GP obstetrician. Um, who helped bring me into the world. But I remember when I was uh, a medical student, I'd actually, um, you know, I'd liaised with yep. him a little bit. And when I, when I finally decided that I wanted to do obstetrics and gynaecology, I drove back by the office uh, and I went and tried to see him, but I found out that he'd passed away. Mm. So it was quite sad. But I think a lot of the impressionable bits about, you know, but wanting firstly to be a doctor, I, I, I didn't know what a doctor was really when yeah. I was a, when I was a year twelve person trying to decide what I wanted to do as a as a, as a, um, a career a career yeah. but I knew that I wanted to be a doctor okay and then when I reflect on that then part of that was well I did actually have some really positive experiences with Dr Thomas and so when I went to medical school I went to medical school at Monash University and I was had this really wonderful experience where I was born at St George's Hospital in Kew which is no longer a maternity hospital it's yeah. aged care but when I was at medical school, I, I was one of the last Monash medical students to go through the birthing unit there okay. at St George's. And, and a woman, I would love, if she hears this podcast, I'm sure she won't because it was over, over 30 years ago now, yeah. but um, this woman welcomed me into her birth space. I think one of the things that was really crazy is that not many male medical students were actually welcomed into the birth space at all. We, wow. were, we were really shunned. Okay. And but this woman really, she took me under the wings. She... The midwife that I worked with at St George's also allowed me to do pretty much everything. And so there I was catching this baby. The woman was on all fours standing up. And, no, she's standing up actually. And I was sta standing underneath <laughs> Shaking. her. Shaking. Yeah. 
thinking, I'm going to drop this baby, I'm going to drop this baby, I'm going to drop this baby. And I did it. Okay. Uh, thank God. So hopefully that baby's still all right. But, um, but it was such a wonderful and empowering experience. Yeah. And it left such a huge mark on, on the way that I thought about women's health and certainly birth. Then I went off and I actually did my internship at the Alfred Hospital. And the Alfred Hospital at that time had no obstetric, no women's health um, rotation at all. So we were effectively chosen. I I think it was a bit like a footy team, you know, the physicians. stand there. Well, the physicians would go, you look like you'll be a cardiologist. So I got tapped on the shoulder, come come with us, you're going to be a cardiologist. (laughs) But you could have been in emergency medicine, you could have been orthopedics, you could have been whatever. But we all got sort of divvied up on a team and and so the, the cardiologist took me under their wings and oh, I must admit I loved cardiology. It was good. Really? But then I thought to myself, oh, my God, how boring. Just, really? Yeah, just telling people <laughs> to stop smoke and take your statins. Yeah, yeah. So it was going to be a little bit boring. So anyway, I left medicine for a little while and um, I set up a re- medical recruitment company. So I left medicine for about three or four years and during that time my wife and I had our first daughter who's now 18 and I just remember going to the appointments to see the obstetrician and just realising, why the hell did I do physician training? Yeah. And I reflected upon that and I could have gone back into medicine. And so the company was going well, my medical recruitment company. I was missing medicine. I, yeah. I always wanted to be a doctor. So I didn't you want to be a hands bu- on. I didn't want to be a businessman, yeah. right? So even though I, I enjoyed the, the, the businessy aspect of of um you know, running a company and we had 24 staff. It was awesome. But one of the things that I really miss being a doctor. So at that point in time, I had this decision to make. I could go back and do physician training and be a cardiologist in three years or I could go back into into doing ONG, which would take me another seven years and do what I really wanted to do. Yeah. And so I was really fortunate enough to, number one, get into the Royal Women's Hospital, which at that time was and still is very competitive to get into. And then do all my training there. And I think, you know, one of the things, I didn't want to get boxed into one area. Okay. I think I wanted to be able to do the breadth of everything. And I think what makes, I think what sets, what I hope sets me aside from other obstetricians is that I do a combination of everything. I, I think, you know, one of the things when you want to see an obstetrician, you want to know your, it's a bit like being a pilot. You don't want your pilots, airplanes fly on autopilot, right? Yeah. You want your obstetrician to be able to be there if there's a crisis. Yeah. And one of the things that I suppose throughout my training, both in physician training, doing going on to be trying to be a cardiologist, but then also running a company, but then also doing a combination of gynecology, obstetrics, and fertility, is that I know that if something, if the, the proverbial hits the fan, yeah. I can manage that complication. So there will be obstetricians out there that don't do gynecology. And yet one of the thing that's the thing, single most important thing you can do as an obstetrician is if, if a woman is bleeding heavily and you need to save her life, you need to be able to perform a hysterectomy. And I think that's one of the things that when, you, when you're looking for someone who's, who's, an, who's going to be your obstetrician, one of the things I'd implore you to do is, is find out how many births they do. Yeah. Do they do gynecology as well? Like, can they can they do a laparoscopy and treat endometriosis if you want to see them later? Is there an element yeah. of continuity in terms of the care that they can afford you? And yeah, you know what? If the proverbial hits the fan, can they crash land the plane? Because I think that's the most important thing. The crash landing, you know, 
I've never had to do it, touch wood. No, yeah. But I know that I can do it because I do that in my gynaecological practice. So yeah. um, I think it's really important when, you, when you're searching for someone, yes, they've got, you've got to have a good rapport with them. And that's why I always say it's almost better to see your obstetrician before you become pregnant for yeah. a preconception counselling appointment. And the fertility part, where did that, like? Well, look, I, again, you know, a stroke of, yeah, it's, it's, it's things, or, I mean, I think, I think if you maintain, um, a lot of people say, you know. You just like to keep going. Yeah, study. but I think the other thing, the other thing about it is that if you, if, if you remain positive about stuff, good things come your way. Manifest. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. It's true. True, it's yeah. It's absolutely true. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, I always say to patients when I'm doing an embryo transfer, you know, po- think positively, nice, yeah. happy vibes now. Um, I was really fortunate again. So I did my training at the women's, as I said before, and I met Professor John McBain, who, you know, we as a fertility community, certainly in Victoria, have a lot to thank for in terms of, you know, single women and same-sex couple getting access to donor sperm, but also just the ingenuity and the and the brave and brazen acts, you know, in terms of developing IVF yeah. to where we are now. But so I met with John and and I had initially wanted to do a, a, a I, th- I really like the fact that reproductive medicine is a combination of physician base yeah. work, it's hormones, it's manipulating yeah. hormones. It's like when you go to an endocrinologist and they're giving you insulin to manage your sugars or they're giving you thyroxine to manage your thyroid function. The same thing goes with fertility medicine. Yeah. We're giving medication to manipulate or to, to improve ovulation so that a woman can conceive. And I really like that that use of medical management. And so I was very fortunate and he, he offered me a job. And then I was in Thailand and I got a job. I, I obviously wanted to expand my skills in gynaecology and I did some training in Thailand and then I got a job in Sydney and I was going to be there for two years in Sydney doing laparoscopic training, but I hated Sydney. I'm sorry if anyone's from Sydney. <laughs> I, I love the beaches. Uh, I love Bondi. I love the walk from uh, Bronte to uh, the Bondi it's work. The walk. Melbourne oh, versus Sydney kind of. We've got better coffee. <laughs> yeah, the coffee's Absolutely better. Absolutely coffee. Yeah. No, look, Sydney's beautiful. Sydney is a really nice place, but I, I didn't like I, I didn't fit into the culture there. Okay. Uh, but nonetheless, I decided I want to come back into Melbourne and, and John welcomed me into not only into the Royal Women's Hospital, but then when I finished my training, his wife was retiring from fertility practice and so I actually shifted into her room. So I was really fortunate to have a bit of a leg up yeah. in terms of my fertility practice as well. So the combination of being able to, you know, one minute be doing ultrasound scans for follicles, the next minute collecting eggs, the next minute doing a laparoscopy for endometriosis or a a hysterectomy because a woman's, um, you know, got heavy bleeding or a fibroid uterus or or then catching a baby, um, you know, vaginally or assisted vaginal birth. days never the same, is it? Days are never the same. That's awesome. (laughs) And then I get to do podcasts like this. How cool. (laughs) You can't. Well, that's true. But it's – and obviously it's harder for you as a doctor because you could be delivering great news. Yes. One minute, and mm-hmm. then walk into another room, and then yeah. like that's and people forget that you're human, right? Yeah, and I remember <laughs> I remember being on Insta. Uh, it would have been about a year and a half ago, and I had a I had a situation where a patient came to me after I'd actually had two women who'd lost their pregnancies beforehand, and then made a comment to one of my staff saying, you know, he he, he just seemed very distant and whatever, and it dawned on me that that. You know, and this is the other thing that I always encourage people to do, and this is true in life. If someone has treated you wrong or they're not 
what you would perceive them necessarily to be, ask the question, are you yeah. okay? Because I, I probably wasn't okay. Yeah. And, yeah, it, <clears throat> it does, you know, you know, I often say to my wife, sometimes I don't have a lot of bandwidth when I get home because yeah. I've had to deal with so many things yeah. over the course of a day, losses, pregnancy losses, um, you know, women who've not been successful with their IVF cycles. Yeah. And so a lot of that is debriefing, encouraging, um, instilling confidence and trust and, and, and also inspiration and hope. And I think, you know, sometimes it does have a profound effect on how we we are. And yeah. But I suppose it doesn't, I'm not that, if, I, I can move on quite yeah. quickly. Yeah, and um, that obviously comes with time and... Yes, yeah. your experiences and Absolutely. I'm sure if you go back to when you start, you were like, you wouldn't have been able to. Yeah, well, like, I mean, you know, I can see up to 60 patients a day. There's no way I would have done that 10 or 15 years <laughs> yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, de- you do develop a, an ability to be able to, I, I think there's, look, I, I hate to say we act. I don't think we act. I, I always tell my son first thing in the morning, you know, I go, how are you going, Luke? And he goes, yeah, I'm okay, Dad. I go, no, mate, that's not the way to be. It's like, I'm awesome. Yeah? <laughs> that's what you've got to say. Yeah, because yeah, when, so- when they say to you, how are you going, Joe? I go, so good, not funny. <laughs> yes. So good, it's not funny, awesome, never better. And I think, you know, if you if you start thinking like that, that's the way that people around you will feel as well. Yeah. And then, of course, there'll be the times where it's serious, sad, um, and, and, you you know, you it's emotional and you need to be very conscious of that and you need to be very respectful of that because you can't be the oh, so good, it's not funny person anymore. But then, unfortunately, it is a matter of switching back on and saying, okay, well, the next person deserves my attention and deserves me to be the person they initially wanted me to be. And and that can't always happen, of course, but because you will get affected and and that particular patient felt that I was affected, but but um, fortunately she asked because if she walked out and said, hey, listen, he's crap, I'm never going back to see him again, yeah. she wouldn't have known the truth, yeah? She yeah. wouldn't have known that I'd actually had two patients who'd unfortunately miscarried straight after one another, you know? Yeah. It's, the, the, a miscarriage is just the most nonsensical and an unfair thing that potentially could happen to any couple. Chemist Warehouse Pick of the Week is Pseudocream. Now, everyone has this in their nappy bag. I sure did. Um, and one little fact that I would say is that my even my teenage niece would use it on her pimples. They would go instantly the next day. But it's perfect to protect against nappy rashes, especially when bubbies have those big blowouts. We all know about them. A big tub like this goes a long way. And the most important thing that you're not sure of that is Pseudocream is a proud um, announced sponsor to the Australian Red Cross Lifeblood um, support. They are doing innovative research when it comes to mum's breast meat, milk and donating um, and helping women that can't breastfeed and what they can do and then knowing their options. So there's so much behind. You want to know more, jump on their website. Do you think that what well, I see that, and obviously working in IVF previously, is that when they're going through a cycle or they've miscarried, that they don't actually deal with it. They're just like, let's do the next cycle. Or do you find that they're like, oh, let's just keep going, you know? like So couples are different and you, yeah. need, to, you need to judge, and women and couples are different, so you need <laughs> to judge each couple based on a scenario. I mean, I always, 
I honour the miscarriage as as if it was a lost child. Um, you know, it's a loss of potential hopes, future dreams. I know when when my yeah. wife was pregnant, you could you could plan yourself out. What was oh my god, cool, your baby's yeah. going to be due, and what are we going to do with the baby, and then what are they going to be like when they grow up? So yeah. you're thinking when you are pregnant, some twenty years later. When that doesn't eventuate, it is a huge sense yeah. and loss. So I honour I honor that. For some people, it's like, okay, they're very realistic and they're very methodical. I've had a miscarriage, fair enough. Yeah. We know they're common. I'm going to move on. For other people, it's a huge yeah. loss. So I think everyone's going to treat a miscarriage very differently and it's about, from my perspective anyway, it's about understanding the person. Yeah. 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 I, um, I, it is. It's different on how people... Or they realise that they continue with IVF and they're like, oh, actually, this is what happened. And then they're like, well, I did have losses. And at the time, sometimes they're like, well, I didn't really think to because they wanted to get to the, the end. Well, the end goal is having a baby, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's fertility right. fertility treatment is, is hard enough as it is. I always say that uh, fertility treatment has a tax on you physically, in some cases financially, but most importantly emotionally. And um, women and couples who go through that, it, it is hard. It's gruelling and um, and it's a journey, right? It's an, that, yeah. yeah, I hate the word journey, but it is. It's yeah, a journey, yeah, absolutely. It's a yeah. well. I know if you, I don't even know if you can answer this question, and so I can wh- answer any question. <laughs> which part of your like do you like? The, which I remember once asking you the IVF or like what? Yeah. It's a hard one, right? That's that's a hard question. <laughs> you stumped me. Thanks. Yeah. I suppose they all have their. I don't look. I, I don't think I could sit there and just do purely fertility. Yeah. And I don't think I could sit there and just do purely you? do obstetrics, or pregnancy care. I think the the beauty of my job is the variety that that I'm afforded. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I can't unbundle that. So why is there not many of you that do both anymore? Do you think? Oh, there's no doubt that running a very busy obstetric practice has yeah. a tax on you. And, yeah. you know, I, I am stretched. And, and, in fact, one of the mi- mi- nurses from Melbourne IVF said to me today, Joe, I don't know how you do it. And I said, well, it's because I've got a really good team around me. Yeah. yeah. But I think, it, 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 you, know, I, you know, I don't want to sort of degrade my colleagues, <laughs> but, you know, fertility is a nice job. Yeah. You, you rock up at 8 o'clock in the morning and you finish at 5. It's you different. know, No on call. And so you can understand why a lot of, lot, what a lot of doctors will move into that area. It's also why, uh, you know, a lot of people choose anaesthetics, for example, similar sort of thing. You clock yeah. on, you clock off, you don't have any after hours, there's no patients to look after it. Whereas obstetrics, you know, there is at any point in time, I've got, you know, 30 by nine yeah. uh, women who are pregnant. So uh, that, you know, over the course of a year, 330 people that depend on me that can call me any time, day or night. So it is it is onerous, but you've got to love it, yeah. I, mean, I don't begrudge it. I don't begrudge getting a call to two o'clock in the morning no. to go and catch a baby. I remember there was one woman who called me at uh, two, it was about two thirty in the morning, and she said, "Gay." I said, "I answered the page." She, I said, "Hi, how are you?" She said, "Gay, Doctor Joe." I said, "Gay." She said, "I'm in Bali." I said, "That's great. Is, it, is everything okay?" Yeah, I just wanted to tell you I'm in Bali. <laughs> Because I didn't tell you before I went and I can't get to sleep. I said, thanks very much. So apart from those calls, okay. I'm happy. Okay. That's so funny. Yeah. So I tell my patients, you can call me anytime, just not the call from Bali. Just to say we've left. Yeah, yeah, send an email. Yeah, right. just it's all good. Exactly. We got it covered. Tell me tomorrow. 
<laughs> That's too funny. But I was, well, now I was lost track of what I was going to say to you, but when it comes to, so how do you unwind? Like you are on the go all the time. Yeah. Do you, does your poor wife go, Joey, go back to work? No, no, she doesn't. <laughs> She'll be wanting me home tonight sometime. Yeah, no, yeah. but no, do you know what I mean? Like doctors uh, can't know how to switch off. They don't know how. Look, no, I mean, look, fortunately when I have downtime, I have downtime and, and I think it's important. I mean, there's no way that you can be an ever-ready, um, ever Duracell bunny or whatever that yeah, is yeah. all the time without having an opportunity to, to reset. So, for example, tonight I'm, I'm going to catch up with a good mate of mine after yeah. this and we'll go out to dinner and have a chat. Yeah, and debrief as well. I think it's really important in any in any field that you're in that you actually have a bit of a debrief. So I've got another obstetric colleague that I catch up with regularly and we debrief. I've got a fertility colleague who I catch up regularly. In fact, I'll be seeing him soon. <laughs> yes. I'll talk to Nick. I'll be seeing <laughs> yes. him very soon. Have a bit yeah. of a chat. And so it's nice because you, you chat about certain patients, you chat yeah. about certain complex issues and you unbundle those issues. And, and because, you know, you, you do need that. You yeah. do need an opportunity to be able to do that. I debrief a lot. Yeah. Yeah, especially being in the birth. Like you just, and I carry a different emotion to what you're, like you're different and sometimes it's a lot. And oh, so I've absolutely. got to go and, and have colleagues that I talk to and debrief it because even if it's a quick birth, sometimes it's a whole other level of, I take a lot of, well, for me, I take a lot of energy in yes. that space. Yes, Because not even just for mum, whoever else is in the room, you could just, you yeah. pick it up and it's, you have to, you have to debrief. And for me, especially on being an emotion, different emotional level is that then I, and because I have birth so close, that I then can go in almost and then go into the next space and sort of let go of that one and then support. You do. You need, you need a break because, you, and you also need to debrief because you don't want to go in into yeah. the next birth with, the baggage carrying from beforehand. And and that's really important. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's um and obviously people look at social media think it's glamorous all the time. I think social media's got the, the social media's got two aspects to it, isn't it? They've yeah. got the pregnancy is glamorous and look at my belly, how beautiful it is. And the reality is for a lot of women that's not the case. And then there's also the horrific clickbait that I hate as well. Yeah. You know, it, this is what's going to happen to me. I'll get an induction of labour. I'll end up with a cesarean. Yep. When in actual fact, a lot of the evidence points away from all that sort of stuff. And I think that's one thing that, again, being a good practitioner is about listening to people, listening where they're getting their sources of information yeah. and then curating that information back to them in a way that they can understand, which is why I use a lot of analogies. Which is great because now I... Yeah. I find myself should doing I, analogies. Should, should I when copyright I, them? <laughs> yeah, you should. You need to publish a book. <laughs> the analogies. Yeah, all your analogies. And I like yeah. sometimes I listen to you and you're explaining it to a patient. I was like, oh, that's a really good one, Joe. You need to do another one. <laughs> I, know, I know. So you just can't like, I know and understand why. Yeah, because yeah. people like you can say most doctors some and you walk out and you go, what the hell did he? I don't get it. Yeah, I, look, I think, you know, again, I, I probably have um, Monash to thank. I remember when I went, when I finished year 12 and we were applying for medical Wait, school. Wait, first question, do you give analogies to your kids? Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do they, they go, okay, Jim, yeah. thanks, Dad. I think it comes from being a wog too. <laughs> yeah, yes. If you haven't guessed, I'm Italian. Uh, but, <laughs> yes. But um, so, so one of the things about when I went into medicine is yeah. that we got in on raw scores. Yeah. So we got in based on our, our VCE results back in those days. But there was also a component that went for an interview. 
Okay. And one of the things that they asked us at this particular interview was try to describe the difference between a solution and a suspension. So two chemistry terms in layman's terms, so in you know, general Joe Blow terms. Um, and, and that was really important because yeah. it set the scene for what type of medical student they were actually. Good. Do they still do that? Uh, I'd hope so. Yeah. Because at the end of the day. It used to be in a lot of professions. It should be in every yeah. profession. And I think part of that then is how I've approached every complexity. I mean, even when I was studying, I always tried to unbundle things in a way that made it very easy for me to understand. Yeah. And I think that's really important when you're trying to explain very complex terms to, to people uh, that make sense to them because they've got something they can reference. Yeah, I, I find that I use analogies not in the medical, like now I'm at home or if I'm explaining something to my mum and then I'm like, oh, my God, Joe's going to come like, <laughs> We better explain sh- one of these analogies yeah. to these people. <laughs> you should. Well, what's your famous analogy? Oh, look, I, I, like, I like one for fertility. Okay, go. So I always say to, to, to women about go. the flower box. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So, um, you know, we, we and it's really interesting. We go through our lives all the way through school, even into adolescence, through our teenage years, through our early 20s, not really understanding the reproductive system. Yet it's the no. most fundamental thing because at the end of the day, a lot of us want to have children. Yep. Uh, but I explained to women and, and to men about how the the ovaries contain follicles. We've he- we know they have little follicles. It, often they've called, in women who've got polycystic ovaries, they're called cysts. They're not cysts, they're follicles. And what I say to them is they're like little eggshells. But rather than think about them as little eggshells, I always say to them, think about the little follicles as little seedlings sitting in a flower box. So some women will have three seedlings, some women might have 20 seedlings. Irrespective, the brain will secrete a hormone, which is like fertiliser for one of those seedlings. One of those seedlings will grow into a beautiful big sunflower. It'll block out the sunlight of the rest. And every month, a woman will have one sunflower she can pick and put in a vase. And that's the same thing that happens. In actual fact, one of the follicles inside the ovary will get bigger and bigger and bigger. It'll suppress the other ones from ovulating. Yep. And a woman will release one fo- one egg from, from her ovaries, which will then will travel down the fallopian tube where fertilisation occurs. Because in humans, we don't want to have any more than one baby. Now, when we do fertility treatment, we're wanting to collect a lot of eggs. That's what the aim of IVF is to collect as many eggs as we possibly can. So what we do, using that analogy of the sunflower box, is we give super fertiliser and a hydroponic system and we grow all the sunflowers up in one hit. I love the analogy. And then we collect all the sunflowers and we put them in a vase. So if a woman's got 20 there, then us as fertility specialists are giving these super physiological doses of something called follicle-stimulating hormone, which are like super fertiliser for the ovaries, to stimulate the ovaries and collect the eggs. These would have been eggs that would otherwise have died away. They would have had their sunlight blocked out. Yeah. And so we're rescuing them from dying and collecting those eggs. And effectively what we're doing is concertinaing several months of trying. So if you've got 20 eggs, that's like 20 months of trying into one month. Yeah. And so that's the beauty of IVF and being able to, expedite the time to pregnancy. They're, they're awesome analogies. They like every I'll time, write a book. <laughs> you have to write a book because yeah. every time I hear and I'm like. Next life. Yeah, when I say to people when they'll come in, they'll have low iron. I'm like, yeah. well, tell Joe. About the bread analogy. Bread analogy. <laughs> I said, has he used the analogy? I said, no, just ask him about the bread analogy because okay. I know that it's going to come. But then they get it and I was like, leave it. I'll get Joe to explain yeah. it. But it's. 
Sadi. So I think it's important because there are a lot of things that are very complex in terms of what we do and, and being able to bundle that's really important. Yeah. What do you think in the most when it comes to like a fear question? Is it the fact that they're worried about, I know we had, and like the episiotomy, like mm. what's the most thing that they say, Joe, I'm out yeah. of what they see or hear on social So I think a lot of stuff, I mean, social media's got a lot to, to answer for really, but but uh, and, and it's often, and uh, anyone who's listening to this, yeah. people will never blog about their happy experiences. I know, how many times do we say it in the first place? Can yeah. you? Blog about this. Exactly. We say them because 99.999999% <laughs> yeah. recurring will have a really positive experience. So, but no one does that. It's the 0.00001% that have a bad experience that will blog. Yeah. And so that unfortunately is the narrative that a lot of people end up receiving. I mean, I think a lot is around induction of labour. There's a lot of fear yeah. about induction of labour. There's a lot of fear of pain, which is totally understandable. Um, there's a lot of fear of some women not con- being able to control things. Like yeah. a lot of women are, are, are like, well, you know what, I want to have my baby on that day, right, because that's how I run my life. I yeah. run my life knowing that it's going to happen then. So yeah. there's a And I remember one of my very first patients was actually a midwife colleague from the Royal Women's Hospital and she came and saw me and she said, Joe, I want to have a Caesar. And I said, I'm sure she, in fact, I won't say it just in case. But she, she said, she said, I said, why do you want to have a Caesar? And she said, Joe, you see what happens at the women's. And I said, yeah, but that's why you've chosen to come and see me because yeah. you know that won't happen. And so her fear was around what she'd seen previously, which had clouded her judgment about what could potentially happen yeah. for her. So in the end, we unbundled that and we ended up having, well, she ended up having a vaginal birth. I didn't say we, she yeah. had a, a vaginal birth and, was, and then went on and had another baby for a vaginal birth. She would have had two Caesars otherwise. Yeah. It would have been very easy actually for me to have said, I want to have a Caesar. Yeah. No, sorry, go and have a Caesar. I think that's actually... I think if you ever say to your obstetrician, I want to have a Caesar, and, and they say, oh, yeah, cool, let's book you in, that's not an obstetrician you want to see. Yeah. There are some cases where a caesarean section is totally valid, and I certainly believe in a woman's right to choose, but I'll always question why you want to have a caesarean section. Not because I don't want you to have a Caesar. I, I'm, I'm, if you want to have a caesarean section because that's I think a woman has that absolute right to choose their birth experience. Yeah. And I, I use that mantra, a woman's birth experience is unique to her and no woman should be judged for that birth experience. But yes. I always want to know why because sometimes it's a fear of pain. So I want to have a Caesar because I'm worried about Let's pain. Let's chat about it. Let's chat about pain. What can we do to manage the pain? It's I want to lock in a date. Well, we can lock in a date, right? Yeah. So often the Caesar comes not because they want to have a cesarean section necessarily. Else, There's yeah. something else that's going on. And if we can unbundle that, then perhaps we'll have a vaginal birth, which, you know, is what we aim, you know, is, is one of our aims in terms of obstetric care and, and midwifery care. But again, if a woman comes and says, look, I want to have a Caesar, I've done a pros and cons list, let's chat about the pros and cons and at the end they've, their, their decision is to have a Caesar, then I celebrate that. that yeah. that's, what, that's the birth experience they want to have. And that's part of one of the reasons why I've also started offering maternal Caesars because yeah. I... I don't want the disengagement that a lot of women have with the cesarean sections where they have this blue cover or green cover in front of them and they don't see their baby being born. I, I want, if they want to, yeah. I want to give them the opportunity to participate in their birth. So, yeah, I've been very 
very forceful in my intent to do that with the hospital. And I would say now the vast majority of women who are choosing to have an elective caesarean section or because their previous birth experience means that they- Or coming to you because Or because you, it. Because of it. Yeah. And so, and so I offer that now. And I, I can tell you now, there's not one woman who's walked away from a maternal assist who's gone, I hated that experience. No. And I even see in the postpartum journey, their recovery is- like mentally different on how that process of wanting in being involved. Absolutely. Yeah, not. And and when they can't do a maternal disease for other reasons, you have a clear sheet. Yeah, exactly. That's true. So yes, yeah, I always like, have a clear sheet. So. And there's different aspects of them being involved and and I do have some clients that will say to me beforehand, oh, I don't know. Yeah. And we always say, let's just get scrubbed up. We'll get you ready. You don't have to. And I said, trust me, as soon as Joe says, here's Bubba, you're going to put your hand out, you know, and then they go back, oh, my God, I did, I, I really did that. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a wonderful, I mean, it's, you know, sometimes I, I sit there in awe not only of women and their capacity to be able to, to go through the whole pregnancy journey but also yeah. the birth as well. You know, we, I, we, we, both you and I are exceptionally privileged to be caring for the yeah. women that we do. Yeah, and it's it's hard. It's yeah, like it's. It, I get emotional. I don't think you've ever, have you ever noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> you've never noticed there's there's been times I was like the masks are really good. Yeah, like, they absorb the tears. They do. And I was like, oh shit, Joe's gonna realize that I'm like. Crying. You know, to, to be honest, I actually don't cry when the mother cries. I I, I often cry for when the, the baby. When, well, yeah. no, when the partner cries. Really? Yeah. I think it's because I also remember my own emotions. Of so having it takes you back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, especially knowing their journey and what, and I've just, I don't know. And the room goes silent. I'm crying and they're like, thank you. And I'm like. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, you just can't. Um, you can't. And, that's, and you were talking about why I like what I do or what, what. I mean, that's part of it, isn't it? There is there is a positive affirmation, that whole process of being involved in that birth. Yeah. It's such a positive and wonderful experience. And even if, and I must say that, you know, there are couples out there who are my patients who know that they've had, you know, yeah. we've, had, we've had to medically interrupt pregnancies at 27 weeks yeah. or their babies, unfortunately, have passed away very early on in pregnancy and we've gone through what are the most horrific experiences in the world. Yeah. But part of that, part of that experience is a real tight bond, and you know I've I've been very fortunate enough to care for a lot of women who have had such terrible and horrible experiences in their first pregnancies or in subsequent pregnancies, who then come back to have such wonderful experiences, and, and not that we've erased necessarily what's happened to them before. We've rewritten it. Well, we honour we, we honour the previous yeah. we honour the we previous honor pregnancy it. and the previous birth, and that's why I always say you know have you named the baby because you know this baby yeah. is your baby, um, but at the same time we then have something positive to end up with. Yeah, yeah. it's um, I was saying on on one of the other podcasts is that everyone always says you're not our doula now, you're family. Yeah, you get that. I don't get that. <laughs> Yeah. You get people tattering your names <laughs> on you. True. That, yeah. I reckon that has to be a first for any obstetrician in you the know, world. And, it's di- and I think it's very different because I'm like that friend in that space. You also go to their home as well. I think it's a lot, it is yeah. a lot different. I mean, I, you know, my, as I said before, you know, yeah. I'm, you see your obstetrician for 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes every, yeah. every sort of four weeks. 
You'll have longer appointments with them. That first appointment's a really good one. Especially when they've been on a big journey and then yeah. they're leaving, they're like, I've left 100 appointments down the track holding yeah. their baby. They're like, yeah. it's like they're home in a different way. Does it make, they yeah, well, and I've your had, team, I've, like they build with your, you absolutely. know, Elise and that they're like, it's as much as you don't get called Uncle Joe. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't get that. <laughs> but it's still like they, it's forever. Like it's. Well, I had one woman who saw me for, you know, her IVF and, two or three of her kids, two kids, two kids, yeah. and both pregnancies were complicated by the babies being small so that she had to come in for more frequent monitoring, more ultrasound scans in the rooms. Yeah. And when they left after their second baby, they um, they gave me a card where they wrote down, yeah, thank you, but they also wrote how many kilometres they'd driven from Warrigal wow. to see me in Melbourne. And it was the same distance as going from Melbourne to London and back. Wow. So, you know, you think to yourself, uh, you know, I saw her, her episodically. But yeah. They're driving an hour and a bit every time, an hour and a half every time to come and see me and they would do it again and they would do it again. And you think to yourself, that is, you know, that's a, a t- you know, tough journey for them. Yeah. But for them, such an, a rewarding experience to have, you know, gone through losses as they did but then also to have two wonderful experiences afterwards. You talk and we've, we get given gifts and cards. Yeah. yeah. We, both of us are very similar. We get them and I'm like, I'm going to read them later. Yeah. I can't read them. I, I cry. I, <laughs> yes, I can't cry. Yeah. I just like, yeah, I'm like, I don't want to be rude, but I need to like yeah, yeah. when I get home and then read the, the card. But it's, yeah, you read their cards and it's a whole... Yeah, and, and they are, I mean, some people are extraordinary in, in what they write about. And, and also you get a bit of an insight into the experiences that they've had throughout their journey. And, yeah. and I must admit, those brief interactions that we have with patients, that's why it's so important to be switched on yeah. all the time because you are leaving such an indelible mark on the, on them that is permanent and and influences how they feel about stuff. And, again, this is why I say to people that if, if you ever walk out of an appointment with anyone, any doctor, any yeah. nurse, any midwife, any doula, any accountant, any lawyer, and you don't feel like you've been given the respect that you deserve, ask of yeah. them why. Because it may be that they've just, they're off their game that particular day. Because yeah. I don't think anyone, particularly in medicine, I don't think anyone, and, and healthcare in general, anyone goes out of their way to be, you know, upset you. Yeah. Um, some people are better at doing it and some people aren't and, and that's part of the, I suppose, the, the the art of being a good practitioner but also at the same time it's what sets other people apart. I remember being in the first birth with you and nervous to know, you know, obviously this vulnerable. I too. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember just being like obviously you learn about it, you're there, you're supporting and I'm like am I going to be able to support this woman as what, you know, and it was a beautiful experience. It was actually the baby was born on your birthday. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And I remember the Lee- baby Jay. We're gonna tell about that story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I remember like we're walking down the hallway after the birth and you're like, Oh yeah. And I'm like, Yeah, Joe, I wanna do that every day. And you're like, Yeah. And I'm like, it was just this couldn't wipe the smile off my face feeling of like and sometimes I don't, I don't know, you probably know how to just crash when you go to bed. After a birth, if I've been there for like 26 hours with you, yeah. I go home and I'm like, 
uh, I can't, I'm like, I need to, I'm too wired. I need to take a while to come down of that oxytocin yeah. high. Like yeah, it's, it, is, it is. I mean, you, you're in a very unique position because you have been there through the whole process, through the whole birth. I mean, yeah. we as, as obstetricians come in episodically during the birth, um, but certainly there for the, the most important bit, which is helping the woman catch her baby. But, yeah, it is, it's, it, it is sometimes hard to... To come down. Oh, it's, it's hard. I find it. Well, either I'm, because I, well, the girls upstairs, they want to feed me. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky you get that. <laughs> if I've been there for like, an, like, I don't know, it's like one o'clock in the morning, they'll be like, oh, what's left in the fridge upstairs? <laughs> they'll give me a meal and I'm like, I cannot eat this because yeah. if I'm going to eat it, I'm going to yeah, snooze yeah. in the corner because I'm so tired. So I'll be like, they do look after me very well upstairs, yeah. but it's, it's you like I'm. It's funny too because even if someone has an epi, dad's sleeping and I'll just go sit on the chair for like ten minutes. The first person they call is Vanessa. Yes, and so I'm like not their husband. <laughs> so yeah. I'm sometimes up. And and that's the thing. And, uh, and I'm like, let him rest. Let, I know yeah. that we've had discussions before about you know a woman who's wanting to have a doula, but the husband or the ma- or the male yes. partner or the female partner doesn't necessarily want to have a doula in the space and. And I remember having a chat with that particular couple and I said, look, the, you know, having Vanessa is more, and this is this was directed to the woman's husband at the time, is more about helping you as well. Yeah. I think one of the things that we forget is that this is the first generation of males and, and, and excluding same-sex couples yeah. here and single women, but this is, a, this is the first generation of males that have actually been involved in birth. Yeah. My dad wasn't. Yeah, yeah, no, there. And so this is the first time guys have been invited into the birth space. And let's be honest, a lot of them do a crap job. Not because they're crap, because they just, we've not been educated on yeah, this sort of stuff. Yeah, they don't stuff, know what right? to do. They don't know what to do. So this is one of the things I sort of said to the, to the husband. I said, look, Vanessa's there to support you as much as to support your wife because it is hard for us as males to sit there and know exactly what to do. Like, do I rub her back? Do I do I touch her? Don't I touch and her? And because it's medical, they're like, can I come close? Exactly. Yeah. Can I do this? What should I do? Can I do this? So, so part of that is, you know, we've not been involved. And, and, you know, historically, obviously, women in the past, when we go back hundreds, 200 years yeah. ago, as a woman, you before you had given birth, you'd seen your mum perhaps given birth, your auntie, certainly your sisters, your cousins. Yeah, de- you would have been involved in so many births before it actually got to your birth. Whereas now, you know, you're rocking up to your birth. Really, the only experience you've probably had before is seen it on TV or alternatively through social media. But yeah. you very rarely, if ever, have seen, been witness or been part of a birth experience yeah. yourself? I call myself like a tour guide. That's a tour guide. That's good. Yeah, another analogy. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I will never take away your experience. Yeah. I'll enhance it by, ta- like, you know, you go into Rome and you you need that experience. Okay. And that, so it's a way of that tour guide will never take away your experience. It will enhance it by yeah. giving you knowledge. Yeah, that's probably a way, a good way of thinking <laughs> you about it. You use that one. No, well, I'll use it for you, <laughs> just, not for me. No, but that's that's what it's like yeah. because it's like I would never, and because people think I could take their role yeah. in that, like the partner space, but I explain it's they're your safety. Yeah. No one can ever take that that role, and it's absolutely, absolutely, and I, and I think perhaps even more education needs to go around supporting 
partners in the birth space as well because yeah. it, it is it's it's a difficult role to have. I mean, you you are a support person. You potentially can be a coach. Uh, you can be a punching bag as well. So a yeah. lot of these things, it, it's difficult because you may not know how to react in different circumstances and also how difficult it is in some cases to see your best friend, your partner, your lover in so much pain. Yeah. And and to know that you can't take that pain away, particularly as a man. You know, men are all about, oh, if, if, if your partner's upset, just chill, you'll be fine, just relax, just relax. Here, you, <laughs> that's the worst thing to say, I've learned that. <laughs> Don't say that in the first place. <laughs> I've, I've learned that. But the reality is here you see someone who's in pain and all you want to do is stop their pain, but you yeah. know you can't. So it's, it's a real... It's interesting too when I say to them, oh, if you're going to touch her in birth, they won't touch. Don't do the soft touch because you'll yeah. lose it. They'll be like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. you can't be. And he's like, oh, like they're on, they're like, no, okay. But it's about that sort of stuff. And I do get partners involved more than they would. Otherwise. Prob- yeah, yeah, otherwise do because they'll say, oh, he'll be on his phone or he'll be, you know. And it's, yeah, I do become, it's another level of what I do in that space. And Absolutely. I am. Um, people do say the same thing. How are you there for that long in the one like it's like a casino. You walk in, don't know what time it is. You walk back out the night, same day. But it's mm. and it, there's a lot that goes on as well. It's the stuff in between. Like yeah. people just, as I said, go on social, look at my page. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's all those things. But yeah. it's a whole nother level of emotion in that space. That yeah, we we do carry. I carry very and. Well, I thank you all the time for welcoming me in your space and watching you. In times, the things that don't go, yeah, it's it's an it's absolute honour. So yeah, I think I, look, I, I think it goes both ways, doesn't it? There's very few doulas that would have the opportunity that you have in order to work with one obstetrician, and equally yeah. so, there's no one. I don't think there's anyone. No, there isn't. Oh, I think we'd be hard pressed to find another no. team in worldwide, really. Yeah, and I think that's. You know, it's testimony to a good working relationship, but it's also testimony to the fact that we, you know, we always talk in, in women's health about, you know, or, pa- or patient health about patient-centric care. And I think if you put the patient or the woman at the centre of all the care and we are the spokes, well, then at the end of the day, you're just going to make sure the wheel's strong enough and you've got to have enough spokes around in order to make that wheel strong. So... I think that's part of the, the thing. We Both of us realise that the person in the middle is the most important person and, and we're just by extension just supporting her. Yeah. Well, thank you. And for the people that can't or don't know where to find you on social, where do we get to see you on? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously you can follow me. I've got a, a very unusual surname. <laughs> so uh, and, and so it's a Dr. Joseph Scroy, but it's like Aussie, 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 Scroy, Scroy, Scroy. I'm sure there'll be a link <laughs> under this podcast yes. uh, for my Instagram. Uh, and you can follow me there. I, I Look, I, I like to, I've got a lot of people around the world that actually will ask questions of me. Yeah. Um, and I'll often do Q&A sessions on a Sunday where I'll just answer questions from people randomly from around the world. And one of the things that I think about being a a good health practitioner is there's a lot of stuff that I can do to help people, certainly one-on-one with my own patients who are in the rooms with me, so the women I care for, the men I care for for fertility, one-on-one to support them during their fertility, pregnancy and also postpartum period as well. But also I can do a lot of help 
with other things and and, and yeah. social media and mainstream media, you can affect and the health outcomes for a lot of people. Yeah. And so it's one of the reasons why I love doing social media because it's a way of giving positive and accurate information about healthcare that's going to hit a, a wider group. So, you know, there'll be people in in – I've got people in Argentina, I, can't, I have to translate what they write to me. Yeah. I've got people, you know, in the UK, USA who ask questions of me and I'm providing them information that I know will help them. Uh, particularly with this maternal assist, I've been it's very... Huge, it's huge, right? Yeah. yeah. I've, I've, you know, I've, I've had doctors from Ireland contact me from we're the US. We're in the New York Post. We were in the New York Post, <laughs> exactly. So, yes. so, you know, we've had, we've had an influence on many practitioners and by virtue of that fact we've also had an impact uh, in terms of many women around the world in terms of their health outcomes so I think it's yeah if you're not in Melbourne and certainly you're not able to see me for obstetric care because I do unfortunately cap the number of women I can see month because I need to do that to be able to give the quality of care that I want to give uh, women uh, then you know I'm, I will be on social media providing. So you can updated hear all Joe's analogies. Can you hear my analogies, your sponge <laughs> analogy about the placenta, you know, all of them. The whole lot. Yeah. Oh, kid and caboodle. No worries. And I'm also actually website, but my websites. I don't know. Do people go to websites anymore? I don't know actually. Yeah. I think they put it in. They uh, they put it in socials. Yeah. Melbourne OB. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Melbourne Doula, yeah. But it's been, oh, look, hats off to you for starting this podcast as well. thanks, Joe. And uh, (laughs) I wish you all the very best of success. I'm more than happy to come back about talking about specific issues. that would be great. I could be the resident OBGYN. Yes, perfect. No worries. (laughs) Thanks, Joe. No worries. This podcast is brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. For more, join our Facebook group, The Modern Doula.